Today we're in the second part of our three-part series on parenthood, and I want to talk to you today about discipline. Uh, On your notes, uh, we have a working definition of discipline. Uh, Take a look there. It says, discipline is correction driven by love. Discipline is correction driven by a heart of love for our children. And God is the model for us when it comes to discipline. Uh, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines, say it with me, those he loves. Yeah. Parents, one of the things you need to understand is the connection between discipline and discipleship. Jesus Christ calls us to be disciples, and a disciple is someone who believes in and follows the teachings of a leader. And Jesus also said that not only are we to be disciples, but we are to go and make disciples. Uh, We're to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us to do. Discipleship is about obeying God's word. It is about conforming my will and my ways with God's word. And God uses discipline in our lives to bring us in line with his word. So parents, the first thing you need to do is you need to bring your will and your ways in line with God's word. Before you can begin to discipline your children effectively, you need to submit yourself to the discipline of Christ. You need to identify those areas of your life where you're out of line, where you've crossed over the boundary, where where you're disobedient, or maybe where you're just even ignorant of God's word. It is so important as a parent to get your spiritual life in order first because you can't lead your child to some place you've never been. And sometimes I'll hear parents say, well, you know, I don't have time for all that. I don't have time for a quiet time. I don't have time to study the Bible. I don't have time to be involved in church. I don't have time for a small group because I'm so busy with my kids, my kids' activities. I want you to think with me about two different scenarios. Here's the first one. What would the end result be for your family if the spiritual activities of the adults were a higher priority than the recreational activities of the kids? Where would that take your family? And then the second scenario is what would be the end result for your family if the kids' recreational activities are a higher priority than the spiritual activities of the adults? Where would that take your family? You know, the number one priority of a parent is to become like Christ so you can model what Christ is like for your kids. In our day, we've gotten this notion that as parents, we are to sacrifice our lives for our kids. Jesus Christ doesn't call you to sacrifice your life for your kids. Jesus Christ calls you to sacrifice your life for Christ. And he says that when you do that, Everything else will fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, when we think about disciplining children, we usually think that we must teach our children to obey us. You know, we teach our children to obey us, but that is not biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is not me teaching my kid to obey me. It's not that as the parent, I have the opportunity or even the obligation to establish a bunch of rules that the kid has to follow, and if he doesn't, I get to discipline him. Biblical discipline is not about me teaching my kids to obey me. Biblical discipline is about me teaching my kids to obey Christ. 
And I can't teach them to obey Christ if I'm not obeying Christ. I can't teach them to put Christ first in their life if they are first in my life. If I'm going to discipline my children, I must disciple my children. And to disciple my children, I must first be a disciple myself. Shut it off after I coughed. How effective was that? <laughs> if, uh, how important is discipline in the life of a child? Proverbs 19.18 says this. says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Parents, we need to understand there is a spiritual battle going on for who's going to be in charge in our households. And, and you know, is it going to be Christ? Uh, is it going to be the parents? Is it going to be the kids? Who's going to be in charge? And that battle is raging. And, and if you find yourself as a parent constantly nagging and yelling and bribing and threatening, you're losing that battle. You're losing that battle. People say, oh, but you know, I don't want to be a harsh disciplinarian. I, I don't want to be mean to my kids. I want my kids to like me. Someone told me this years ago. It's on your outline there. Discipline is not something you do to your child, but something you do for your child. I like the way Zig Ziglar said it. He said, a child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. Now, discipline is not just for kids. Being undisciplined is not just a problem for kids. Being undisciplined can be a problem for parents. So let's look at some examples of undisciplined parents. First one is the lifeguard parent. Lifeguard parents rescue a child from consequences. You know, how do you know if you're a lifeguard parent? Well, you're a lifeguard parent if you rescue your children from the consequences of their bad actions, from their sin. You know, a lifeguard parent does not allow their child to face the consequences of their own sins. They step in and rescue them from the consequences. Or they step in and they blame someone else. You know, they blame another kid, or they blame a teacher, or they blame a a cop. A, A lifeguard parent makes excuses for their child's sin. You know, oh, the reason my kid got picked up by the police three times is the cops are overzealous, okay? No, uh, uh, it's important to let your kids face the experience, the consequences of their bad choices. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God has set in motion in the world a system of consequences, And if you live according to the principles of God's word, you enjoy the blessing. If you live contrary to the principle of God's word, there are consequences. And one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children is to let them experience the consequences of their sin. You know, if if your kid hasn't prepared their science project, don't jump in the night before and do it for them. Let them experience the consequences of what happened when you don't do something uh, promptly and properly and in the right order. You know, if you give your kids lunch money and they blow it on snacks or on on a CD, well, then guess who skips lunch? You don't just give them more money. You know, your kid gets a speeding ticket. You know, he pays the fine. He takes the points. You don't hire an attorney to to reduce uh, the consequences. You don't soften the consequences. You know, a little kid comes up, Oh, Mommy, Daddy, I, I want a cute little adorable kitten. Well, that looks like an innocent decision at first, but that little, cute, adorable kitten is going to grow up to be a demon-possessed cat. (laughs) 
and you just need to wreck, you can't rescue them from the consequences of their decision. You know, I heard this week that Monopoly, you know, the Monopoly game, they changed the, one of the tokens. Uh, they changed the iron token to a cat token. And I just thought, I mean, what next? Are they going to change the top hat into a possum? I mean, it's the end times. Um, but lifeguard parents sweep in and rescue their kids from the consequences of their bad choices. The parents bear the burden. Kid never learns his lesson. Next, undisciplined parents. Those are etch-a-sketch parents. And you all know what an etch-a-sketch is, right? They use them for computers in Arkansas. And an etch-a-sketch, a little plastic screen, it's got two little knobs on it, and when you turn the little knobs, what do you do? You draw lines. And then when you take the etch-a-sketch and you shake it, what happens? The lines disappear. Now, a lot of parents draw lines of discipline in their household, but when their family gets shaken, the lines disappear. And the kids are going, well, wait a minute, where are the lines? Where are the boundaries? Well, we thought we knew what the rules were, but now they've changed. Etch-a-sketch parents are inconsistent parents. Proverbs 29:15, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself, a child without lines, without boundaries, without rules, disgraces his mother. It says, discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. But where there are no, no consistent lines and rules and boundaries, there's no peace. You know, kids don't want the lines to always be moving. Even the whole time they are pushing against the lines, trying to cross the lines, challenging the lines, the kids want to know that the lines are there. And they want them to stay the same. Now, it can be easy to become an inconsistent parent. You know, parents get tired of enforcing the rules sometimes. And, and you can be a hardline drill sergeant at one day, and then you're the, you know, the cruise director of the love boat the next. And you, it, it's hard for kids to follow the rules if even the parents don't know what the rules are. You know, when the rules keep changing, how can you follow them? When the rules keep changing, how can you enforce them? And that inconsistency frustrates kids. Inconsistency makes kids angry. And you know, if the curfew is supposed to be at 11, 11 o'clock and every Saturday night it's up for renegotiation, you know, one week you're strict about it, the next weekend it doesn't seem to matter, that is fertile ground for conflict, fertile ground for disobedience and confusion. Dysfunctional families, one of the earmarks is the rules keep changing. Next, Split decision parents. Split decision parents are often divided. They disagree. They're not unified. Amos 3.3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And one of the most important things that we do as parents is to agree to keep a unified stance in front of our children. Okay. Now, in the real world, you know, in the real world, divorce complicates things. It makes life very, very difficult. And when a mom and dad don't stay married and when they, they can't communicate well with one another or maybe barely like each other, kids quickly learn to pit one parent against the other. I mean, you know, mom said I could go here, now you're saying I can't. You're a bad dad. Oh, dad was going to buy that for me, now you're not going to buy it for me. You're mean. And suddenly the parents are pitted against each other. They're not unified. If your marriage didn't stay together, if you don't really like your ex, you know, please, for the sake of your children, do everything you can to be unified in discipline. 
Now, blended families, you know, that, that's another complicated situation. A lot of time in blended families, you hear, well, these are my kids, they're not your kids, those are your kids, they're not my kids. You know, in a blended family, if you need to disagree with each other as parents, you've got to do that behind closed doors. You've got to do that just between uh, the, the two parents. You know, don't, in front of the kids, you've got to stand unified or they will take you out. You've got to be unified together. Now, those are some of our, our dysfunctions, some of our undisciplined uh, parenting styles. Let's look at some things that parents should expect from the children and that we should expect from ourselves as parents. Uh, first, we should expect first time and cheerful obedience from our children. First time, immediate, and cheerful obedience. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents after they've been warned and scolded many times. No, it doesn't say that. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For it pleases the Lord. Your scripture doesn't say, Obey your mom and dad after they've said, Cut that out. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Do you want me to come down there? You know, I mean it this time. Do you want me to count? One, two, don't you roll your eyes at me. Two and a half. I mean, no, we expect first time obedience. We expect it from our children just as God expects it from us. Now, one of the, one of the keys to getting first time obedience is you've got to give preparation and instruction ahead of time. You know, you need to step in. Hey, kids, you're going to need to put your Legos away here in about five minutes before you go to bedtime. I just want to give you a heads up. It's coming. And, and that way, when you step in and say, it's time to put them away and go to bed, they can do it the first time. But, you know, you spring that stuff on them without preparation or instruction ahead of time. We can't even do that as adults. You know, somebody steps in my office and tells me, put everything away and go to bed. I, I, it takes time to, you know, get ready for that. So you, you want to give them preparation and instruction ahead of time, and then you can expect immediate and first-time obedience. But we want that uh, obedience to, to come also cheerfully. Outward obedience, inward obedience as well. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or without arguing. You know, there's a, a family memory verse for the refrigerator. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Because uh, you know, not only does outward obedience matter, but so does inward obedience. And often inward obedience is even more important than just outward obedience. You know, we need to discipline. A discipline is more for attitude than actions. You know, dad comes home and finds out that son's been talking back to the mom. And, you know, son, you can't be talking back to your mother. So what? I'm not, who cares? No, you can't talk back to your mother. Whatever. You know, you keep up with that smart mouth, I'm going to send you to your room. I'll go to my room, and he stomps down the hall and slams the door. Well, that has the appearance of outward compliance, but it's inward rebellion, and that's dangerous. You know, discipline is more about attitude than actions, because when the attitude is right, then the actions will be right. If the attitude is wrong, the actions will be wrong. So we expect first time and cheerful obedience. Another thing that we expect. Uh, parents, we agree to never discipline in anger. Never. Not under any circumstances. Now, disobedience can be frustrating to a parent. I mean, kids just seem to have this innate ability to disobey at the most inopportune time. Have you ever noticed that? That they just sense when, when, when you are on edge, when things are hard, and that's when they act out. And honestly, that can make a parent angry. 
but in your anger do not sin. That's why it's so important to separate your anger from your discipline. And we need to exercise discipline in ourselves as parents as we exercise discipline for our kids. We never discipline out of anger. Now, at our house, we spanked our kids. I mean, we didn't beat our kids in anger. We spanked them in discipline. There is a huge difference. And we spanked our kids. Actually, we spanked our kids very rarely. Uh, we had to spank one of our kids more often than the other two, but we're not going to go into that. <laughs> but when we did spank, it was because a distinct boundary of disobedience had been crossed. And we, when we spanked the kids, we spanked them with a broad, flat Teflon spatula. It made a loud pop on the seat of their pants. It, it was pretty effective, and it inflicted enough punishment that it was not a pleasant experience for anybody involved. Okay? And in fact, Katie used to carry that spatula around in her purse. And uh, you know, she'd be in the checkout line at Walmart, and one of the kids would start acting out, and she'd just pull the handle out of the purse, and you know, the kid would just straighten up. I mean, you know, use it, use it effectively a time or two, and it becomes just a deterrent in itself, you know. But when, when our children disobeyed, then we would sit down with them one-on-one and make direct eye contact. Direct eye contact is crucial. And then we would ask them to tell us exactly what they did wrong. Because we wanted to make sure they understood why they were, be, they were being punished. They needed to understand what the rules are. And then we would discuss what they should have done. You know, there was correction. There was instruction for the future. You know, punishment is about the past. Discipline is about the future. And so uh, then once we'd had that conversation, then we would decide on the appropriate punishment. And for carelessness or irresponsibility, the punishment might be, you know, just time in your room or it might be, you know, you lose privileges or lost the use of a toy. It may be a work project or you just have to go clean up or repair what was damaged, you know, that type of thing. But for direct, willful disobedience, for an act of rebellion, we would give them a few pops on the bottom uh, with the spatula. And we'd give them enough pops to where it wasn't funny anymore. Now, part of the argument in our day against spanking is that spanking develops angry, rebellious, violent kids. Now, if you believe that, I, I would like for you to look at the first generation that hasn't been spanked. My oldest kid is in his mid-30s. You know, back in that day when he acted up at school, the teachers and the principal had paddles, and, 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 and they would spank him at school. Uh, but, you know, the next generation didn't get that. So if the theory against spanking is true, then those people in their 20s should be the most compliant, peace-loving, gentle, obedient generation that has ever lived. You know, at our house, we spanked. And if you choose to do that at your house, you never, ever do that in anger. You know, if you strike out and hit a child in anger, I mean, you need to repent of that. You need to repent to God. You need to repent to the kid. If you, if you do that continually, you need to get help. Because that is not the biblical pattern of discipline. And, and if you continue to do that, you're going to answer to God one day for what you're doing to that little child. You never, ever, ever discipline in anger. We expect first time in cheerful obedience. We never discipline in anger. Third thing, we discipline promptly and with instruction and reconciliation. 
Those are crucial instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, what's the opposite of of exasperating them? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, if you give them training and instruction, you won't exasperate them. You sit down and say, what did you do wrong? And you've got to ask them, because a lot of times they just don't know. And in fact, they, they may still think it's not their fault. You know, they're mad at their brother or sister. You know, my brother took my Barbie away from him. That's why I grabbed it and whacked him in the head with it. You know, no, 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 you don't hit with Barbies. But it's his fault. He took it from me. Okay, you have to bring them to a point of understanding and confessing that they have done wrong. To confess means to say the same thing about their actions. And, and you know, you, you say together, this was the wrong thing to do. And they agree with you on that. And once they admit what they did wrong, then the second question is, what, what could you do right next time? And then there is instruction and training in righteousness. Let's decide ahead of time what the right thing to do is. So next time they can behave better. So there's instruction, and then there is reconciliation. You know, you did wrong, this is the punishment. Now you're forgiven. We hug, we kiss, we pray, we go on about our day. It's over and done, we move on. And I'll tell you, you know, some of the sweetest times with my kids came after we had disciplined them. It's like they knew that that I cared enough to discipline them. They knew that their offense had been taken care of. Wasn't still hanging out there with me frustrated with them. No, we took care of it. They knew where the boundaries were. They knew what would happen if they crossed them. They knew I loved them unconditionally, even if they crossed them. It was just a sweet time that came out of that. You know, what does discipline do in the heart of a child? Discipline plants within a child an understanding of what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. You know, they start to understand, maybe intuitively at first, but but then at a deeper level later on, that sin must be punished. That there is a consequence for sin. Someone must bear the consequence for sin. It's not just swept under the rug or ignored. And they come to realize that Jesus Christ took the punishment for their sin. And God declares us uh, forgiven not, not, uh, because that, that penalty has been paid. That penalty has been paid by Christ. And they're able to stand. You know, I'm saved by grace. Jesus paid the penalty for me. And they will not take their salvation for granted because they understand that it was bought at a price. And for the rest of their life, they'll be devoted to serving and living for the one who paid the penalty for them. You know that second verse we looked at, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for in it there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. You know, as a young man, I used to read that and think, well, that's over the top. Do not be a willing party to his death. The longer I've lived, the more I've seen children who've wound up in harm's way because parents refuse to discipline them. You know, discipline provides protection. First at three, then at 13, then at 18. It's not something that we do to them. It's something we do for them. And we do it because we want to love them to Jesus Christ. So parents, where are you at? Are you a lifeguard parent who's rescuing your kid from the consequences of their bad choices? Are you an etch-a-sketch parent? You know, the rules just change every time life gets shaken. Uh, Are you split decision parents? Maybe with your spouse, maybe with, with an ex. 
Are you getting third and fourth time obedience after a lot of yelling? Are you getting outward conformity but inward rebellion? Maybe you've got anger problems. Maybe you haven't brought biblical instruction to your kids. You know, whatever the situation is, I would encourage you to first turn your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I want to be a disciple. God, I want you to discipline me. Bring my life in line with your word so that I can be the parent that I need to be. Let's pray together. Maybe as you've heard this today, you've, you've realized, uh, I've just got some areas in my life I need to change. There, there are things in my life that are, I'm not being obedient to God. There are things in my life that are outside of God's will and God's word, and, and so I need to prune those things off. I need to pull my life back onto the straight and narrow. I want to invite you just to just say, God, please forgive me for my shortcomings. Bind up my wounds, heal my hurts. God, help me to live in a way that is pleasing to Jesus Christ and beneficial to me. Let me become so much like Christ that I become the model for my kids. God, we want this to not be so much about discipline as discipleship. Help us to love our kids the way you love us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're God in heaven And here am I on earth So I'll let my words be few Jesus, I am so Stand in awe of you. Yes, I'll stand in awe of you. And I'll let my words be few. Jesus. So in love with you The simplest of all love songs I want to bring to you So I'll let my words be Jesus, I am so in love with you, and I stand in awe of you. Yes, I stand in awe of you.